0: Hey, good morning. good morning. Good morning, good morning. My name is Matt. It is so good to see you here this morning. There are—it seems like every week there are just—I look out and there are just loads of people who I don't know. I don't know. I don't know who you are, is what I'm saying. And it's so good for if this is your first time, first or second time, let me just say, just a, a massive again, what what Andrew was just saying. Welcome. It is so good to have you. Please stick around at the end of the service. Just hang out. There'll be coffee. Um, there's even cake, I believe. Florence has brought a massive cake. Yes! Correct! If there had not been a round of applause at that moment, I would have just left. That would have been it. Because that is... I like how also... When I last checked, only a quarter of it has gone, and now half of it has gone. It will be gone before I've finished talking. So, run to the cake at the end. Yeah, it's so good to have you. Hey, my name is Matt, if we've not met, yet met. I, um, I help lead one of the uh, the midweek uh, groups, life groups that happen in various places around the city. Um, and yeah, I also help uh, as part of the teaching team here at Grace City. And we have been in a book of the Bible um, for a little while now uh, called the Book of Mark. And so, if you do have a Bible or or a phone that has a Bible on it. You can open your Bible or turn your Bible on and, uh, and go to Mark chapter 2. And we're going to read uh, from, from verse 23. And if you don't have a Bible, that's fine. It's going to appear on the... Te- oh, it's already there. I better read then. <laughs> Let's read from uh, verse 23. One Sabbath, he was going through the grain fields. This is Jesus. And as they made their way, his disciples began to pluck heads of grain. And the Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need and was hungry, he and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the the bread of the presence, which is not lawful, for any but the priests to eat, and also gave it to those who were with him. And he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Again, he entered the synagogue, and a man was there with a withered hand. And they watched Jesus to see whether he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man with the withered hand, Come here. And he said to them, Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to kill? But they were silent. And he looked around at them with anger. Grieved at their hardness of heart and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately held counsel with the Herodians against him how to destroy him. Okay. So since uh, coming to Canada, something that I have been just really puzzled by, like really on a fundamental level, just puzzled by... um, is ice hockey, or, or as you call it, hockey, right? So, from an outsider's perspective, um, because ice hockey, hockey, uh, is just not a, th- just not a thing in, in England. It, I find it just baffling to watch. I don't, I'm, I don't understand. I'm not okay. I'm not really someone who is that into sport or sports. S- singular or plural, it does not matter. I don't really get it. So what will happen is I will watch ice hockey. This is what I see, hockey. What I see, I'm watching hockey, and there is this, um, there's this chap, right? This chap is there. Um, he's one of the ice hockey chaps. And in, he's got the... Um, he's got the... Um, Park. Park, thank you. I was just going to call it the flat ball thing. But that actually sounds like what it could be called. OK, so the, the, this ice hockey chap, he's got the puck. And then there's this other gentleman, OK, this other gentleman. And here's the important thing. This is actually, he's, he's on a different team, a different hockey team. There's more than one. And this guy, he comes over to the first chap. And, and with, his, um, with his hockey stick just straight up murders him. Just just take he's dead now. He's dead on the on the ice. And then there's this huge fight that takes place. And I'm watching this and and the referees or the umpires or whatever it doesn't matter what they're called, because they just they're just standing there watching. This enormous brawl take place. They're just watching. As far as I'm concerned, they're purely cosmetic. They're just decorative. they're just not, they're not doing it, I'm watching this they're watching this, and then the organist have you seen, the, the organist just strikes up he's revelling in the mad blood sports he's, it's just, it's insane I I don't know, like for, for you maybe you, you love hockey, maybe you just get you get the game, you get the strategy you get what's going on, the, the ebb and flow of the game, the, the mechanics of the and you so you're saying, well Matt, of course in that moment, of course in that moment of the game, it's the most natural thing in the world, for one human being to skate over to another human being, with Feelings and dignity and hopes and dreams and, and just commit grievous bodily harm. It's the most obvious thing in the world to do. I'm an outsider to that sort that's that that side of Canadian culture. Something people, you know, I, I don't understand the rules. And I I don't I don't understand quite why people care so intensely about it. And I imagine that's actually how many of us feel. When we come to the passage that we've just read this morning in Mark, we see Jesus, we see his disciples, and we also see all these scribes of the Pharisees that we've been introduced to in, in previous weeks, and we just see there's this huge debate raging. And because our, our Western culture is so different from you know 30 AD Galilean culture, surprise, surprise, they're very, very different, um, we, we may feel a bit like a... Like a willfully ignorant Brit trying to figure out ice hockey. We just don't get it. An outsider. I mean, why is there this debate raging? Why is there this hot button issue? I mean, twice here we've seen, in quick succession, Jesus has asked um, and thrown accusations at him regarding uh, this thing called the Sabbath. And the reason we might go well, why is there such a debate going on? I mean, in Ottawa, it's just not a debate at all. It's not you know when when someone if, if someone asks you tomorrow, what did you get up to at the weekend, and you say, oh, well, I went to church, the, people are going, you went to church? Quick, tell me, what what do you think about the Sabbath? It's just that's just not the thing that people, on, is on people's minds. You know, the the question that. I get, the questions I get are always about sex or sexuality or, or gender. Those, those are what people really deeply care about. And, and so we don't quite understand why this is just such a hot-button topic for the, for the Pharisees here. But it's not just a hot-button topic, actually. It's, it's actually a, an explosive topic topic i mean if you've still got your bible in front of you and you just want to take a look at that last verse that we read there what we see the conclusion to what we've just read is we see the pharisees teaming up with the herodians working out how they can destroy how they can kill jesus and we have to see that that in and of itself is shocking because the herodians and the pharisees they are enemies right their goals are diametrically opposed. They're working towards opposite things. They, They hate one another. They're not friends. They hate one another stands for. You know, we've seen the Pharisees in the last few weeks. If you've been with us, they've appeared a few times. The The Pharisees are the really religious Jews. They, they are all about following God's law and doing so zealously, putting as much effort as they can, and, and even putting extra rules on top. That's how much they want to be holy. And because they're, they're Jews, they want to return to a time, if they were given the choice, would want to return to a time where they weren't being ruled over by the Romans. They would want to, God to be they're king. The Herodians, on the other hand, they are the complete opposite, essentially. They're, they're Jews, um, but they're essentially secular, because they, they don't want the, what the Pharisees want. They, they want to be ruled by the Romans. They support the Romans. The, the reason they're called the Herodians is because um, the, the, they support the, the little, kind of all these little kings that the Romans have put over them, called the Herods. They want the Romans to continue to rule. And so you've got the Herodians, you've got the Pharisees, they're sworn enemies. They want each other dead. It's like their Canadian hockey teams, I guess. It's really actually rather, rather impressive. What we have um, is you know, Jesus, in, in one moment, with what he says about the, about the Sabbath, he angers both the uber-religious bunch and also the secularists. Yeah, wow, well, well done, Jesus. That's actually quite impressive. How did you manage to anger, turn them both, actually indeed unite enemies against you? That is quite amazing. And from this point, both of these groups, they're working to kill Jesus. What does, why does what Jesus has to say about the Sabbath, why does that anger so anger both parties? I mean, and to do this, we've got to do a little bit of work, right? We've got to go and ask the question, what is the Sabbath? What is the Sabbath? We've got to go right back to the start. We've got to go back to Genesis, the first book in the Bible, right? Where, Where we see God create the universe... And we see him divide in light from darkness, the heavens from the earth, the land from the sea. God is um, doing these, these acts of division, dividing different things. He creates all these distinctions, and his last action, the seventh thing that God does, is we we see him do is we is we see that it, the last thing he does in his act of creation is to rest. And if we see, that is also an act of dividing, right? Dividing rest from the work. And he rests from his work, and at the end he says, it is good. It is finished. It is done. There's nothing more to do. And the question that you might ask is, well, why does God have to rest? Because when when we use the word rest, the thing that we think of, when I say, oh, I need to to rest, I'm usually, oh, it's because I'm tired and I'm exhausted. I just need to sleep. I need to, you know, recharge. I need to... But, but God, he's, all, he's just said some words, he's just spoken and a universe has come into existence. He does not need to rest in the same way. Rest for God here means pause him. And the reason he does this is to model to his sixth creation, that's humanity, to model to his sixth creation that kind of in this new world that he's made, built in is this rhythm of work and rest. And this eventually, this becomes a commandment for God's people. It says, you must keep the Sabbath holy. You must rest, and not just just stop working, but you must rest in me. I am your source of rest and peace. But going back to Genesis, I mean, humanity, in just the next chapter, after what we just recap there, in just the next chapter, humanity rebels against God declares, no, 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 we're not going to work for your glory, we're going to work for our own glory. And what happens, because of that rebellion, is that sin enters the world. Perfect creation is marred. It's deeply broken. You, don't even, you might not even be a Christian here this morning, but you would agree. You'd look at the world and go, there is something fundamentally wrong here. Something fundamentally broken. So many things are fractured. And out of all of the many things that are fractured, one of the things that is broken is work. You know this, work becomes wearisome, it becomes exhausting, ultimately, ultimately it, it, it is not fulfilling. It seems like there's never a moment where conclusively those words, it is good, it is finished, can be said, not in a, not in a conclusive, all-encompassing fashion. And God's command that that we must rest, we must rest and rest in him and receive from him is all the more important, all the more crucial because of the brokenness that is now evident in this world. But for the Herodian, for the the secular individual, the, the complaint with the concept of the Sabbath is a complaint that work should pause or cease at all. You know, the, the, the secular person will say well God if, if there is a God um, you you may want me to stop working but how can I truly trust you how how can I trust that you will provide for me and I don't just mean provide for me financially I mean we we live in a, a city where I mean this is so evident that people find their not just their provision in work but they find their fulfilment they find their satisfaction they find their purpose in what they do in how they work and what they what they get up to I mean at least at least once or twice a week I find myself up early in here in Ottawa and I'm, I'm walking through Centre Town at like 7 o'clock in the morning and what strikes me every time I'm walking it's, it's not even 7 o'clock in the morning but I see all these people and they are striding they are marching in a determined fashion to work they've got this expression on, the, on their face I'm going to get to work they've got their laptop bag in one hand and in the other the most concentrated Caffeinated beverage that Mr. Horton can provide, but they, they are are—they'll go because what they what they think they—they're going to get to work at seven o'clock. They're going to get stuff done. And it's not just it's not just the, the business people. It's not just the the civil servants. I've I've lost count of just how many conversations I've had with students. Uh, in this, I, I know I'm probably describing like one third of you right now. The, the conversation is always oh what what do you do? And it's always something like international development. Like so many of so many of you are, are either you have studied, you are studied, or you're working in the field of international development. And this conversation so often just goes oh so I'm um, uh, what do you study at university? Well, uh, international development. Oh, why international development? I just want to develop the nations. <laughs> I just want to, I see the world and how broken it is and I just want to fix it. I just want to get involved and fix it. I wanna, well, that's not bad. What I'm, what I'm pointing out is that this is not a work-shy city. It's full of people who just want to make a difference, you know, that phrase. I want to make an impact is, the, is the, what I hear perhaps more than any other when people are talking about their hopes and their, their dreams I want to make an impact even on the world stage so I want to get to work and so a commandment like the Sabbath a, a, a commandment like a, a day where you just rest from work and you, you don't work towards that can appear to the secular individual to the Herodian like a, just a, a, an attempt to rob them of their freedom to rob them of their, their freedom to pursue their ultimate satisfaction, their ultimate purpose in work. The secular individual, and listen, maybe that's you here this morning. You may view God's commandments, not just commandment, but all of his commandments with suspicion. They can be seen not as, uh, as a freeing thing, um, but as a, as a burden, right? As a, as a heavy chain around your neck. The secular Herodian distrusts God because when he says that work doesn't bring ultimate fulfillment, they think, ah, that's not, I don't feel like that. I mean, some of you here this morning, you're here and you're intrigued with Christianity. You've been maybe coming along for quite a few weeks, you've been watching, you've been observing, but you, you haven't yet committed, you haven't got to the point where you, listen, you say, yes, you know what, I am going to follow Jesus. Okay, Jesus, I'm, I'm going to do it, I'm going to follow you. And, and the reason you haven't jumped in the full way yet is because you know that if Jesus truly is King... But if Jesus truly is what he says in the passage we read this morning, that he is Lord of the Sabbath, then not only is Jesus Lord of the Sabbath, but he's Lord of everything. He is King of everything. And what you're concerned about is that if, if Jesus is King of everything, then that means he's going to be King of you, and he's going to rule and reign in your life, in your heart. And, and things, you, you worry, may have to change. And you know, I'm not going to say that you're wrong. In fact, I'm going to say... You're correct. You're absolutely correct. That's what it means when Jesus is king of you. And we've also got to see that this complaint doesn't just focus on the Sabbath. This complaint focuses on all of God's commandments. Extends across the entirety of God's law. Maybe for you here this morning, you know, the idea of resting a day a week, that's, that's not a problem for you. you just think, oh, what's the big I just, You may be thinking, I still don't get what the big controversy is about. I still don't understand why that's a big deal. But you know, it might not be that for you. Perhaps it's something else. And in Ottawa, if it's not going to be work, then it's going to be sex. right? It's going to be what God has to say about sex and the parameters that God draws around sex. You know, one man, one woman, in marriage, that's it. See, I know that I, what I've just said there. Some of you just go, "Oh, I don't like," because what that sounds like—that sounds like God is trying to rob me of my freedom, burden me. That that law sounds like a heavy chain around my neck. But you, you hear, you hear Jesus say these sorts of things, and you just think, "How can I know that that God really has the best for me? How can I know that?" That won't enslave me, it will free me. How can I trust him? And so you may hear Jesus say, like, he, well, like we heard him say just a few moments ago, the Sabbath is made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Right? In other words, uh, the, the Sabbath is not there to be a crushing weight around your shoulders. It's not there to bring you smashing to the ground, but rather it's there to serve you. Instead, so to increase your flourishing, not diminish it. And, and you hear Jesus say something like that, and your response might just be suspicion. How can I know that he's trustworthy? How can I know that when God says, I don't know, you know sex outside of these parameters is not going to lead to freedom? In fact, the, the enslavement that you're concerned about is actually outside of that. How can I know that I, that, that I won't end up enslaved? How can I know that this isn't just one big trick or one big con? You know, even for Christians, right? There can be this real fear of missing out. Fear of, you know, what I mean by fear of missing out. You know, there's the um, it, it, FOMO. Exactly. It's like it's become so ubiquitous that it's become like just a, an acronym. There's been all these studies, all these um, in the last few years on, on social media and things like Instagram and, and, and Facebook and and how actually they emotionally affect people. And one of the things they've discovered is for a lot of people, like Facebook is just it's just it just makes people miserable. Because you, you log in and you just scroll through all these photo albums of all these photographs of all these people, all your friends who are doing amazing things and going on trips and they're having holidays and vacations and having adventures and having parties and you were invited to none of them. <laughs> and there's this fear of, and oh I've missed out, the fear of missing out. And for Christians, there can be the same FOMO type Um, approach to to looking up and seeing the world and and there's this thought that might go through your head of well perhaps the, the pleasures of the world maybe they are that satisfying. Maybe they do. They seem to promise ultimate satisfaction whether it's in work whether it's in sex. How... And, and that's, I mean, going back to Genesis for a moment, that is the first lie that Satan comes and tells. He comes to Adam, he comes to Eve, and he, Satan says, Okay, you know that there's this tree in the garden, and God has told you not to go and eat from it. But he hasn't told you why. He hasn't told you why. Here's why it's because he's withholding from you, it's because he's withholding real flourishing from you, he's withholding real life from you and Adam and Eve take the bait they believe that lie and that is why the world is so broken as it is they trusted Satan not God and so you may still be asking the question okay Matt come on tell me how can I trust him how can I trust Jesus how can I trust God well I'm going to wait make you wait for a few minutes because we've talked about the Herodian we'll get there we'll get there but we've talked about the Herodian we need to talk a little bit about the Pharisee right We talked about the complaints of the secular person, but the Pharisee, the the very religious person in the story, why does the religious person react so badly to what Jesus has to say about God's law and God's commandments? How does that make sense? They're religious. But the super interesting thing is that the Herodian and the Pharisee, they look at God's law and they see exactly the same thing. They say exactly the same thing. So the Herodian looks at God's law and goes, the secular person thinks, that just sounds like a burden. That sounds like a crushing weight. A chain around my neck bringing me down. And they, they back away. They run away from that. They don't want that. But the Pharisee looks at, that, at God's law and just says, it's a crushing weight. It's a burden. And I can lift it. I'm the one. I can do it. It's got the danger to crush me, crush me, but it won't. I'm going to lift that impossible chain. I can fulfill all of the commandments that God wants from me. And since I can do that, since I can tick that law, you know what, I can add even more laws on top. I can make some up and become even even holier. And we, and we see this in the story that we've told, that we've, that we've read this morning, of, of the, the two moments where the Pharisees accused Jesus of and what we see in their complaints. So the first instance, right? What is what is happening? Jesus and his disciples, they're, they're walking along and there's this grain field. And the disciples are helping themselves to some handfuls of the grain as they as they walk as a snack. And the Pharisees see this and they point at it and go, Aha! You, you're disobeying God. We got you. We got you. You're, you're disobeying God, except actually it, it, the disciples who are under the law of Moses are actually completely fine they're actually they 're not doing anything wrong in fact, do we have that thing from deuteronomy? This is what Deuteronomy says if you go into your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the ears with your hand, but you shall not put a sickle to your neighbor's standing grain deuteronomy like that that is That's God's law in the Bible saying, no, it's absolutely fine. As long as you don't turn up to your neighbour's grain with a sickle and start working their field, go right ahead. But the Pharisees, do you see what they're doing here? They're saying you can't do what God's law clearly permits. And the situation gets even worse. I mean, the Pharisees at this stage, they're just warming up. We see that Jesus, he's about to heal a man on the Sabbath, and the Pharisees are really angry because work is being done, by their definition, by their expanded definition of work. That's what being, they, they've outlawed miracles. That's how far they've gone. They've outlawed miracles. They've, they've outlawed medical procedures as well. And in doing so, they, oh, they have shown just how, how little of God they grasp. In doing so, they show that for all their religiousness, they just don't know God. And you just look at Jesus' reaction to this. It says that Jesus is angry. And it says that Jesus is grieved. He is furious and he is sorrowful. Jesus reacts so strongly. Why? Because of their hardness of heart. For all that they do, all that they think they've done, all of their goodness, and they don't have a clue who the Father is. They haven't, it's all about what they've done and their work. And because of all that they've done, being approved before God. So keen are they to make themselves right before God. And so, so determined are they to double down on their work because the religious person wants to say based on everything they've done exactly what God says at the end of creating the universe in Genesis he, the religious person wants to say it is good all of my work, it is good, it is done it is finished I have done it, there's nothing more to do but the truth is that there's, there's no one here who has done what God has wanted all the time, no one's done that perfectly have they? Has anyone? I, I have. No, there's no one. No 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 one. When it comes to rest, who has rested perfectly in God? No, no one has. But there was one, though. There was one who has done this. One who, who was and is the Lord of the Sabbath. And whereas the, the secular Herodians, they, they flee from the law, whereas the, the Pharisees try... Whereas the Pharisees try and lift it on their own shoulders, Jesus, he lives perfectly... By God's commandments and is not crushed by the weight of it. But then Jesus is crushed. Jesus hangs on a on a cross, and that's where Jesus says, it is finished. It is done. It is that there's nothing more to do. When it comes to, to, to gaining God's favor, there's no work left for us. The Father looks at Jesus' spotless life and says, It is good. The Father, he looks at me, he looks at Matt with with all of my imperfections, with all of my failings. There are loads of them. And it's as if he sees Jesus' good works instead of all that I've done. And the question that's come up again and again this morning has been, how can I trust the moral commandments of this king? How can I trust that making Jesus king of my life won't end up crushing me, won't end up robbing me of freedom, won't end up burdening me? It's when we see this Jesus on the cross. It's when I see and I, I, I truly glimpse who Jesus is then. This is, this is the perfect one and he's died. He's been crushed for me. When I see that, I realise, oh, I can trust him. I can trust this Jesus because he has died for me. He knows what it's like to be truly crushed. When we come to, me, to, to him, when we come to Jesus, he releases us from the crushing burden of the law. And not only that, he, he dwells within us. He takes up residence by his spirit, right in the law even on our hearts. He, he provides the ability to live by the moral commandments of, of Jesus. You know, last week we were talking about the, the wineskin, this new wineskin that Jesus' message, um, you know, the new wine of the new life that Jesus brings. And, and what, the, what the Holy Spirit does when he comes and takes up residence is that he, he provides the container and the, and the ability to actually hold that new life. Christians, we're going we're to continue on with our service this morning. We're going we're to... Continue by by worshipping. We're going to continue by singing. We're going to continue by... uh, The Holy Spirit this morning is going to reveal to us more of the Father as we see Jesus. We're going to partake once again in Jesus' victory by taking the bread and the wine together. Before we do that, there's one, one more thing that I must ask. That, that is for anyone here. I don't know where you are. I mean, every one of us would would go would lean either towards the, the secular Herodian or we'd lean towards the religious Pharisee. I don't know. We, all, we would all go one way or the other. But maybe you're here this morning and you've never said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to come under the rule and reign of this king. I'm never, I, I have never given my life to Jesus and let him truly rule everything about me but maybe this morning in the last few minutes perhaps there's something that has just clicked for you maybe you have been thinking yeah I don't know if I can trust him but something has just clicked and you thought you know what if Jesus has died for me then I can trust him if that's you and you just say you know what this morning this is the morning where I am going to commit my life to following Jesus if that's you here's what I want you to do this morning um I want you to come and find me. This morning I'll be around for, for a while um, after, the, after the service. I want you to come and find me. I'd love to talk with you. I would love to pray with you. And, and that would be that would be our joy. So um, what's going to happen is Holly and Emily, uh, Emily yeah, are, are going to come up and um, they're going to teach us a new song. I'm just going to pray and we're going to just listen to this song and let the words wash over us. Just pray. Father we thank you Lord I, I thank you that from the beginning from that moment of, of the world being broken back in Genesis Lord that, that you set out this plan you set out this re- redemption story of, of where we, we might be released from the, the crushing expectation of, of working for our own salvation working our way out of sin Father we could never do that We could never attain what Jesus has done. Lord, we need his life. And we thank you that freely, freely on the cross, Jesus offers that new life to every one of us. And Lord, we thank you that you then take up residence inside. You empower us to live as you would want us to live. And Lord, I thank you that that is a joy. I think that is not a crushing burden. Lord, we thank you for all that you've done, all that you've worked. And and Father, I ask for anyone this morning who is thinking... But can I trust you? I, I ask, Lord, would you, would you give them such a glimpse of the gospel? Such a, would you reveal who Jesus is and what, they have, what, what you have done for them? Do that in the name of your Spirit, we pray. In the name of your Son. Amen.